Coca-Cola. Hello and welcome to this edition of Outside the Box Score. I am your host, Jonathan Michael, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson, in just a few minutes. But before we get started, I want to mention to you that this podcast is brought to you by Rakuten. Rakuten is as easy as one, two, three. You start by going to Rakuten's website and find your store. These are the stores that you normally shop at. Macy's, eBay, Kohl's, Old Navy, Lululemon, Nike, Gap, Adidas, Levi's, Crocs. There's too many to mention, folks, but you go through Rakuten, you shop on their websites as usual. That's step number two. And number three is you get paid because you're earning cash back. You get paid via PayPal or check. Simple as doing the shopping that you already do at the places you already do it for the prices that you already pay, and you get paid to do it. How simple is that? Up to 15% cash back. And when you sign up through our special link in the podcast description, you'll get rewarded. Get $10, folks, just for signing up. So why not? Give it a try. Also, want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter. You can find us at J-M-O-T-B pod at M-T-O-T-B pod. We'd love to interact with you there. Also find me writing in various places on the internet, sharing blogs, sharing other thoughts on the issues that will all be shared via Twitter. We only do this once a week, but there is more content that we're putting out and you can find it there. Without any further ado, let's get into the episode. Let's kick off our first quarter by talking about the NFL's game of the week, Brady versus Breeze. After watching the game on Sunday night, it's hard not to say that the Saints are back. They're a real contender. But I'm going to tell you the truth here as we do. We go outside the box score here and tell you what's really going on, the Buccaneers' game plan was awful. I know the Tom Brady detractors are out in full force, but the Bucs ran the ball five times for nine yards. No quarterback is going to be able to succeed in that situation. Here's a quote from Coach Bruce Arians. The game plan Sunday was to try to play more zone and get our front four home on defense. Yeah, that's a great idea considering you're playing a 20-year veteran in Drew Brees who could pick apart a zone, no problem. Not to mention he has the lowest average intended air yards in the league, 5.8 yards, and the fifth lowest aggressive throw percentage. So they abandoned their man blitz defense, aggressive up the middle, which Drew Brees can't handle, and their man-to-man, lock them up, sit on short routes, They just said, oh, we'll drop back into soft zone. I couldn't believe it as I was watching it. Unbelievable. Don't be fooled by these saints. Don't be fooled. You know what it is? The regular season is like the Instagram filter for the saints. And the playoffs is the date. You know, these girls with their perfect angles and filters covering up any and all flaws. Then you show up on the date all these dating apps during pandemic and you're like mm, she's cute but 
Doesn't really look like the pictures. A little bit of false advertising there. This was low-level coaching for the Buccaneers. The poor game plans in the regular season, it's the filter. It covers up their flaws. The Saints don't go deep. They run the same short slants, outs, screens, over and over. I think they ran five plays. I kid, but it wasn't many plays. It wasn't difficult to figure out for for a guy who has a podcast who's not a defensive coordinator in this league. I could see right through it, and I couldn't understand it. Breeze is too small to see over the mid-rush. All you got to do is sit on short routes, and they did the exact opposite. Very confusing, putting on the filter for the Saints. But when these playoffs come, that's the date. That's the real deal with the elite coaches and the thorough game plans. That's a date. No filters. You'll see them for who they really are. And they are unlikely to get asked out on a second or a third date. They'll be going home early come January. Now, Marv, we've talked a little bit about the Saints before on this podcast. I said, and you've agreed, I'm not going to fall for this act again. Sean Payton kind of out coaches the other teams, the low level coaches, and the Saints look really good, and we go through the cycle thinking, oh, man, I should have made them a Super Bowl contender, and they get beat by Kirk Cousins or whoever they face in the first round. We've seen this story before. But we haven't seen this performance from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What in the world happened in that game in Tampa? To be honest, I was in total shock myself when I was watching what was unraveling on Sunday Night Football. The Buccaneers looked like they were playing as bad as the New York Jets. I thought it was the Jets out there who put on the Buccaneers uniforms and decided to play for them. It was just that bad. And it looked like the Buccaneers were so unprepared, ready for the Saints and what the Saints uh, brought into Tampa Bay. But one thing I have noticed over the past couple of years watching the Buccaneers play at home, they've been one of the teams that for some reason – Home field advantage has not worked for them. They've been really bad. And we look at Jameis last year. He threw a bunch of interceptions at home. They barely won any games. This year, we have Tom Brady. The Buccaneers, I believe, have lost each and every uh, one of their games at home. They're 6-3. and three, So I, w- I will take it they lost at least three of those at home. And then the rest of the games, they've won away. So I haven't really taken a look at their schedule for, from prior um, performances, I'm, I've seen that they lost in Tampa. But they Bruce Arians just simply got out coached by Sean Payton. It was so obvious. And Todd Bowles looked like he was scared to make the right calls. Todd Bowles throughout the whole year has basically been defensive coach of the year. I mean, the Bucks were leading the NFL in sacks. They were one of the most aggressive, blitzing teams. And to see them basically play cover three similar to what Seattle plays, I was in shock. And I really didn't know what to say or think. I don't know if maybe because they signed Antonio Brown, but that's not fair to blame him. That it was a little distracting. That it was his debut on the team. And the Bucks maybe were a little distracted with that. But I don't think he's bigger than the team for him to distract the whole team like that. Uh, everything – that could have went wrong, went wrong on Sunday night for the Bucs. Uh, Tom Brady couldn't complete a pass. Uh, I believe he threw over maybe 90 yards. 
three interceptions. It was his worst defeat in his career. That says a lot for a guy who's played 20 years in the league. So I was just in like all in shock. I had buddies texting me like, what is going on with the Bucks?" And I, I had no answer for it. I, I was so sure that the Bucks, being the, the favorite playing at home on Sunday night football, we we're going to see the Bucks basically elevate themselves from a good team to an elite team. And that didn't happen. So questions are still there. What kind of team are we getting for Tampa Bay this year? Honestly, don't know. I was incredibly perplexed as you were. The game plan Sunday, I'm repeating this quote, the game plan Sunday was to play more zone and get our front four home. How do you plan to do that when the Saints have one of the best offensive lines in the league and they're healthy? How are you getting your front four home? Not to mention, how are you going to confuse a veteran quarterback who can only throw underneath by giving him underneath throws playing his own? As you mentioned, playing cover three, I saw a lot of cover three and some cover one. I tried to look up advanced statistics on that, but I could not find how often they were running the cover three. But it was at least 50% um, from what my eyes were telling me. Could have been as high as 75%. I mean, do, you, do you have a kind of a breakdown that you saw in that game, Marv? that you might have been keeping track of to, to back me up here or, or to provide to the contrary their play calling? Yeah, the play calling was very vanilla. It looked like a preseason game, the way they were calling the call, making the calls on offense and on defense. I mean, Arians has been in the league for a very long time. Todd Bowles as well as we've seen him bounce around on a few teams. And, that that was just unacceptable. The coaching job that they uh, they put out there on Sunday, they they even said it. They got their butts kicked, but that's not good enough. Not when you built a superstar team like what the Buccaneers have, where AB is your fourth receiver. That's how deep they are, and there should be no kind of excuses on why you uh, lose on national TV in front of millions of viewers. It was just simply. They were simply out coached. It's just unacceptable. I get the offense, though, Marv. I get that the offense was out of rhythm. It happens. The defense didn't help at all because they didn't really let them get in rhythm. The offense and the defense are kind of synergistic. They move off of each other. And the defense was playing so bad, it put a lot of pressure on the offense. But I offense, bad rhythm, A.B., trying to work on getting three guys the football. I don't understand only running the ball five times. That I don't get, just completely abandoning it. And that may have been trying to get the five or the three guys um, their targets. Some of that is explainable, but what is entirely inexplicable is the defensive game plan. I thought to myself, hmm, could they be trying to stay vanilla for the future? You know, planning for a playoff game, plan, planning for – a different time, but this is in the division and, and, and that game's not a big deal. Tampa's going to make the playoffs, at least in that sense, it's not a big deal. But what is a big deal is they are looking like a wild card football team right now. And that means that they have to go on the road three times to win. Tom Brady's always winning or was always winning in new England because he got the home and he got the buy and they're no longer going to have that path. The NFC is wide open, though, now, Marv. Do you have a favorite for who is the best team? Because I couldn't tell you who it is. 
I was riding high on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers train, but after that performance, I got to reassess and rethink. Um, also, the Seahawks did not look like a Super Bowl contender on Sunday as well. So it looks like it's going back into the Packers as it being the favorite so far. The Packers as well have been up and down as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. But at the end of the day, I think the Packers will basically pull away. Um, looking at their schedule, it's not very tough. They have a pretty decent schedule. Uh, they should be able to handle their even though they got handled by the uh, Vikings the other day or a couple of weeks ago, I still think they're going to end up winning that division and possibly locking down the number one seed. Yeah, to me, the NFC is incredibly interesting, right? You have the Packers who have horrible schematic problems with their run defense. They don't like to play in their base package. They like to play in their nickel and dime. And they're, for lack of a better word, and just to be direct, they're soft. The Seahawks, they play no defense. We saw what happened with Tampa. I was kind of on them a little bit. Not maybe as hard as you, but I was thinking, yeah, this is probably the best team in the NFC. But we saw how that turned out. So it's between those three to me, but they all have glaring flaws. It is 2020, man. Anything can happen with the Saints. But I do believe the game plan is super simple. You double Michael Thomas. You sit on short routes. If they're going to beat you deep, good luck, but send that pressure up the middle. Drew Brees will not have a good day. He's too small to see over that line. He can't handle mid-pressure. He's had trouble with it his entire career, and I just don't understand why Tampa Bay did not take advantage of that. Let's move on to our second quarter and talk about some interesting comments coming out of Dallas. So both Jerry and Stephen Jones – been making the public circuit like they do every week, making comments on radio to reporters. Both are saying that Dak and Mike McCarthy will be back next season. I've said it before, firing Mike McCarthy isn't the answer. You have to change from the top down. Jerry has to make changes in how he does things. So bringing Mike McCarthy back, I get it. Makes sense. It's a pandemic season. It's his first year. He doesn't have Dak. So bring him back. Give him one more year. But Dak... I don't know. And I know I've been saying Dak Prescott is not the quarterback to take this team, this franchise, this roster to the Super Bowl. But man, we have to reassess. They're not even in the same galaxy as Super Bowl contention right now. How bad are the Cowboys? You may ask, how bad are they? The Cowboys are 7-15 in their last 22 games. You know who else is 7-15 and 15 in the last 22 games? The Jets. I know. I couldn't believe it when I saw it either. The Cowboys' record has landed them the number two pick as it stands right now, and I can't see them winning more than one or two games. So they're going to be finishing near or at this number two pick. They have to play the Ravens. They have to play... The Vikings, who are getting hot and will run all over them. The Giants are looking better than right now. Um, the Washington football team, they might be better. This Cowboys roster is a disaster. And I know they're saying, oh, we'll bring Dak back. But there's an alternative plan that just makes so much more sense to me. You keep that number two pick and you take Justin Fields. You franchise Dak and trade him to the highest bidder. And here's why. 
It gives you four to five years of cheap labor at the quarterback position, generally the most expensive position out there, and Dak is not going to come cheap. And you get a higher ceiling with fields and you're able to quickly rebuild that defense because this is a rebuild. And you have tons of money sunk into Demarcus Lawrence, into Jalen Smith, Amari Cooper. They are paying Ezekiel Elliott the most for a running back. They have so much money sunk in, they don't have enough cap open to rebuild any other way. So I know they're saying, yeah, Dak will be back. They're setting it up. But doesn't that just sound like political speak? It does to me. That way they can come back and say, well, we tried. Dak wouldn't just sign at the right price. We couldn't afford him. We wanted to have him back, but it couldn't happen. And who's more of a politician in the NFL than Jerry and the Jones family saying all the right things? But he's a businessman. And this just makes the most sense for their roster, their chance to win a Super Bowl. And in the end, it makes the most dollars and cents for Jerry's pocketbook. Pay attention to what people do, not what they say. Jerry has made this team more about business and branding than winning. And this would be the most logical move for business. But I also think it would be the best choice to win quickly. Marv, I look at these Cowboys and they're in an interesting position. Dak is the face of the franchise. He's popular with the media. He's a quarterback who can win you football games. But when I look at this team and I look at how much money he's asking for, I just don't see how you can make it work. Enlighten me, Marv. How can this work? All right. So I completely, totally agree with your assessment on drafting Justin Fields. But let's look at it this way. What if someone decides to offer a Ricky Williams-type deal to the Dallas Cowboys for this number two pick? If I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I think about it. Because if you look at their roster from on the defense, it's really bad. They have a lot of glaring holes that they need to fill. And they're not losing games because of their offense. It's because of their defense. Because even during those games that Dak Prescott was healthy enough to play in, they couldn't win those games because their defense couldn't stop anything. They were just getting simply outscored. Now, if I'm the Cowboys, I'll think about, I'll put all the options on the table. I'll think about it, everything and everything that you can get. First thing you do is have a fire sale. Do just like the Dolphins. Put up all your guys to the highest bidder. Get as much draft picks as you can and start building that defense. Similar to what the Panthers also did. They went and invested all their draft picks into defense. I mean, it's not, Rome wasn't built in one day. It takes time. And the Cowboys our team, unfortunately, since Jerry Jones is always like the plug and play guys and try to win from there. Uh, at some point, you just got to say, you know what? We don't have it. We need to take our time and slowly build this team. Uh, yeah, the fans may not like it because you're getting rid of a lot of stars, but in the long run, it'll work out. And if you want to keep Dak Prescott, then you're going to have to be able to spread out his contract so you can afford them under the salary cap. And then I would say first person you should trade is Zeke. Zeke. Zeke's already overpaid. They gave him $90 million. That's the, that's the beginning of the problem. Then you got Cooper, $100 million contract. That's another problem. Why do you have two offensive players that are combined $190 million and they're not producing for you? 
I mean, if you have a, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. If your top two offensive weapons are producing, you're not going to win. And I believe they went out and drafted a receiver with their first pick this year, which made no sense whatsoever. The moment it happened, I was just like, why? When they need to add defensive players. So I, I suggest the Cowboys go out, think of put all the options on the table. If you want to keep Dak Prescott, then you're going to have to trade that pick. If you decide to move on from Dak Prescott, then of course you sell him off to the highest bidder and take the best quarterback that's available to you at the number two pick. Other than that, this is going to be a rebuilding project. There's no easy fix for the Cowboys right now. They just look like a mess as we predicted in the, in the, uh, past uh, podcast, we knew this was coming. When they let go of all their best defensive players during the offseason, we knew this was going to happen. We just didn't know it was going to be this bad. And I'm starting to be at a point where I feel bad for the Dallas Cowboys, and I used to make fun of them all the time. So I'm hoping Jerry puts his head on straight, thinks this through, and makes the right, right decisions because he might have to take some losses just to get back on track. So I see your point on making a trade and getting the most for the number two pick, but my plan is an alternative, and here's why. Yeah, you may be able to get that Ricky Williams offer, and you may get two first-round draft picks, but I think I can start at trading Dak Prescott after franchise tagging him for a first-round pick, a lower first-round pick, but there's going to be a team that's desperate for a quarterback, somebody who can take their, let's call it Super Bowl-ready defense and win that season. I think of Chicago, if they could make cap space in that situation. Just a franchise who's desperate for a quarterback. There's going to be someone out there. You're going to get good compensation for Dak. I know it sounds like we just rip on Dak all the time. That's not the case. He's just not the fit for this team. He is a guy who can win a Super Bowl with an elite established defense. So that's the first part. And you do all defense in the draft. That I that I agree with you. And you get that extra draft capital for Dak. Go all defense except for Justin Fields. That's part number two. And then you sign and plug holes on that defense with the leftover cap space that you saved on Dak Prescott. I'm with you on trading in those offensive pieces. I'm 100% with you, Mark. But I don't think that they can get anything for them. Is anyone going to trade for Zeke in that bloated contract? He gets worse every year and every game. If there's somebody to pick on in Dallas, that's the person to pick on. And Amari Cooper, he's good. And if a team like the Packers was more aggressive, they might go after him. But again, another bloated contract that nobody's going to want, and you're not going to get that return. So I think you can, uh, I think you can pair that offense, those pieces, with the young quarterback – and then build out that defense, and you have a Super Bowl contender. Any last word on that, Marv? It's a good way of thinking about it, but I still think they should go ahead and just blow it all up and just have a fire sale and, and start from scratch, basically, and build. let Mike McCarthy pick his players and build his team. I'm not against that idea, but I know Jerry will be against that idea. It's all about <laughs> winning, and it's all about winning Jerry's way. So this is a way that you can win Jerry's way. I'm trying to be, you know, flexible. I'm with you on the on the premise of just blow it up, start over, because I think that would be the right thing to do. But Jerry doesn't have that kind of patience. And to be fair, he's an old man. He's in his 80s now, I think. He doesn't have a lot of time left, perhaps. So he wants to get another Super Bowl ring. 
This is the quickest way to do it. You get a quarterback with the higher ceiling. You can fix that defense quickly and maintain those pieces on offense that are still very nice. And with that, let's shift into our third quarter. It is time for Money Making Marv. Marv had a winning week last week, and he plans to do it again this week. So we don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Marv, give us your first money-making pick. All righty. So coming off of a three-and-two week, I'm feeling, feeling myself a little bit. So I'm going with the first pick being New York football Giants plus three-and-a-half at home versus the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm still not a a big believer in the Eagles just yet. They struggled to beat the Giants the last time when it was four and a half spread at Philadelphia. The Giants uh, covered that game, and I was I actually was a happy recipient of that that game because I made a large bet on it and won. So I'm going to take the Giants plus three and a half. Their defense is really good. They keep it keeps them in games, and their offense scores points and spurts. So it's going to be a closer game than most people expect i like the giants to cover i just want to interject here because marv's too humble three and two some of you that may not bet uh, three and two that's all right you have to understand that professional betters go about 55 percent, and marv's hitting on that rate and he's betting the best games that he gives you so you make your decision we give you five we give you variety we give you a buffet but marv is truly a money maker With that, I am going to agree with you on the Giants. I like the potential for the Eagles in the future, but they need to get healthier. I do think that they're going to win this division when it's all said and done. Carson Wentz drives me nuts, but by default, he's the best quarterback in that division. But these Giants are hot right now. They're looking better each and every week, which I think is important with a young coach and a young quarterback gaining confidence, making strides, and you're getting three and a half points. This game's going to be ugly. It's going to be close. I'm not saying the Giants are going to win, but I'm going to give you agreement to cover those points. Marv, you're off to a great start. Can you give us your second money-making pick? So my second pick is the Tennessee Titans, minus one and a half versus the Indianapolis Colts. As I've said before in the past, I'm just not a believer in the Colts. Uh, One week, Phillip Rivers looks good. The next week, He's throwing picks left and right. Uh, Simply put, the Titans' defense is horrendous. That's why you see the spread being so small. Uh, The Colts' defense is really good. At the end of the day, I believe the Titans' offense is going to be better than the Colts' defense, and that will ultimately win them the game. They'll probably win by a field goal. So I'm taking the Titans minus one and a half. That is Such a sharp analysis, Marv. I do not have much to add. I am on the Titans. I will say this just to uh, this because this is my conviction on this pick. Rivers is entirely a shot fighter. I think that summarizes what you meant by saying one week he's good, one week he's terrible. Sometimes he has it, sometimes he doesn't. He's really old people and he's immobile. And against these bad defenses, he has a chance. The Colts tend to struggle with the Titans for whatever reason. The Titans are just a far better team. The Colts are my team of the future, as I've talked about, my team that's building a great defense slash already kind of has one. But that offense is just, 
it just can't be trusted. And given such a small margin, the Titans will outscore them and win by at least a field goal. Marv, can you please give us your third money-making pick? Yes, sir. So the third pick is a team that's been struggling all year, but I really like their chances. Uh, Deshaun Watson gives them a chance each and every week, regardless of how bad their team is. I have the Texans plus three at the Cleveland Browns. Uh, People may think I dislike the Browns. I really don't. I just don't believe in the Browns much either. Uh, The Browns are one of those really inconsistent teams where one week they look really good, then the next week they look completely lost. Uh, They're coming off of a bye. I know uh, Baker Mayfield was placed on the COVID list. I I haven't heard any updates about that. Hopefully he's able to play. If he's not, then it makes this bet even better. So I'm taking the Texans plus three. Marv, you were doing so good. Just kidding. You're the money-making guy, and I'm just the commentator here. But I'm going to give you disagreement here, and I think this is my biggest disagreement of the week. When I'm looking at how to bet these games from my point of view, I look at coach, I look at defense, and I look at quarterback. Browns have the coach. Browns have the far better defense because the Texans are so bad in that category. And the quarterback goes to the Texans. But I would say Deshaun Watson is better than most of the quarterbacks that they've faced. And yet they're two and six and have only beat the Jaguars. That just tells me how bad the coaching and the defense is in Houston. And interesting point you bring up with Baker Mayfield potentially missing the game. I hardly think he's worth a point. Case Keenum is the backup. He's probably one of the best backups in the league. He's very much a mirror image of Baker Mayfield. He went 13-3 and with the Vikings with the same coach. I don't think that's much of a drop-off. So give me Cleveland to win by at least a touchdown here. I just think that they're the far better team, but we'll see how it plays out. Marv, can you please give us your fourth money-making pick? With my fourth pick. I'm picking the Los Angeles Chargers plus two at the Miami Dolphins. I know I've been picking against the Dolphins a lot lately, and there's a reason to it. I eventually believe the Dolphins will come back down to earth. They're on the four-game win streak, and I believe this is going to be the week. Uh, The Chargers have been losing a lot of nail-biters and last-possession-type games. I feel this might be one of those games where they finally – finish the game and win it by one score game. I'm taking the Chargers plus two at Miami. Marv, I'm not saying you're not on the sharp side here. I think you very well might be, but I am going to make the argument for the Dolphins here. And here's why. The Chargers always get close, but they never finish. So yeah, those two points are nice, but I have a hard time stomaching betting on these chargers that I don't know if it's luck. I don't know if it's coaching. It's kind of an anomaly how they can continue to lose every game close in the end for two straight seasons. The dolphins, I share your skepticism. So we look back the last two weeks, they play the Rams. The defense wins the game. As you mentioned, they play the Cardinals, bad defense guy kicks a 48 yard field goal short. I don't think I've ever seen that. Obviously, people miss 48-yard field goals in the NFL, but short? That was very strange, and I don't think the Dolphins should have won that game necessarily, and I do think they're overvalued. I'm impressed with what they're doing at 5-3. and three. I think I had them at like 6-10. and 10. I thought they'd be very competitive, but I didn't think that they could find wins on the schedule. 
that was before the Jets decimated their entire team too. But I just I don't like either side, but I feel like the Dolphins is is sharper. But I feel like this is one of those games that money's going to be really 50-50 on. But trust the money making Marv here, I think, just giving you the argument for the alternative. Um, Marv, fifth and final money making pick of the week, please. The final pick, I have the Buffalo Bills plus three at the Arizona Cardinals. See, the Buffalo Bills are probably the only team I've ever seen in my lifetime that gets no respect whatsoever, and yet they keep covering and winning games that they're underdogs in. Last week, plus three at home versus Seattle. They blew Seattle out. This week, plus three at Arizona. I don't think they'll blow out the Cardinals because the Cardinals have a really good, nice offense. But the Bills, they're just really good this year. And I believe people start, once they start watching them on TV and watching them play, their offense is a lot better than last year. I mean, this week, I mean, they were playing the Seattle Seahawks defense, which is the worst in the NFL. But Josh Allen looked like a Hall of Fame quarterback out there slinging the rock. Threw over 415 yards, really three touchdowns. He ran one in. It looked unstoppable. And the Cardinals defense isn't really that great. They've been missing some key pieces. So I, I think the Bills will go into Arizona and find a way to win that game. I'm taking the Bills plus three. Yeah, Marv, to me, this is really, really sharp. For our audience, you have to realize that gambling is no different than any other market. It's supply and demand. It's like a stock market. And more people want to bet the more visual teams. You know, the teams that they watch, they watch Arizona and they see Kyler Murray and they're like, oh, wow, he's incredible. And they want to put their money on him. Whereas the Bills, as you mentioned, they're just buried and nobody really talks about them. Nobody really watches them, but they're low-key, very, very good. And this spread is downright disrespectful. I know it's at Arizona. Three for the Bills who are now, what, what are they, six and two? Seven, seven and, and two. two. Seven and two. To me, that's just a slap in the face, and it's playing off the public's like of Arizona. They are missing key pieces, as you mentioned. Their key edge rusher, Jones, uh, is out for the season. And they are missing Isaiah Simmons a lot of the time. They're a young rookie playmaker from Clemson, really good when he's in. Patrick Peterson is getting old. And, and my hesitation going back to the last pick on the Dolphins had to do with the Cardinals and how kind of so-so their defense is. I'm not entirely sold on Tua. He had a nice game, but bad defense. We'll see how he progresses. We'll see how time goes on. But I think this is just such a sharp pick, and it's just reacting to the market. You're getting a great value, huge agreement. Let's get into the fourth and final quarter of the show. We are going to be bringing you the news around the league quickly. That is our quick hitters. We're going to be talking football, football, football. We have NFL, and we dip into the college ranks, but don't worry. It's related to the NFL slightly as well. Now, Marv, we went into last season. There were six playoff teams. This year, they expanded it to seven playoff teams, and there is now a report that there may be eight playoff teams. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, so from my understanding is 
if there is a game canceled during the season, then that eight playoff team, that eight team from each conference will go in effect. So, for example, if all the teams have already gone through their buys, and let's say the let's say for example the Titans have another outbreak, and they have to cancel their game versus the Colts for for whatever reason, and that game gets rescheduled, let's say to a week eighteen, and they are unable to play it in week eighteen, then the NFL will go ahead and expand the playoff field to eight teams and make it so they can, uh, if a team gets, you know, basically lucked out because their game was canceled, they'll make it up basically by adding an extra team. So given another opportunity for teams that are missing out in wins to go ahead and participate in the playoffs, which I like the idea. It's a really nice contingency plan and it's a win-win for the NFL because that just brings more money. If, they, you know, for example, have to cancel a game for whatever reason due to COVID. And next, Marv, I've been a big defender. Uh, let's not say big, but I've been a defender of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. I feel like their expectations are out of line with reality. It's Ann Arbor. It's cold. It's an academic school. They were 10 and 2, 9 and 3, 8 and 4. These are acceptable records. But it's getting to a point, Michigan is one and two, and they look to be going backwards as a program. There was talk of even Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL. I think that's ludicrous, Marv. Is there any way that we can defend Jim Harbaugh at Michigan anymore? Expectations the day that Jim Harbaugh took the opportunity to go to uh, coach Michigan were really sky high. He has not lived up to any of those expectations. So at this point, it's too too late to fix that relationship. I think it's time they go both ways. Uh, Harbaugh needs to go to the NFL where his style of coaching may suit better than it does in the college ranks. Uh, kids are not answering to his coaching style as, as, as obvious as it looks. And it's just not working. It's uh, kids nowadays like to be coached by guys they can um, basically relate to, like a player's coach. And Jim's not a player's coach. He's more of a, uh, how I say, disciplinary type coach. He's tough. And Michigan's used to be a fun school. And it's just it's just time for him to move on. And Michigan's good, needs to start looking for his replacement. I have to give a little pushback there because – I don't think Jim Harbaugh fits in the NFL. I don't think he fits in college. I'm starting to see the writing on the wall and him going the way of uh, Chip Kelly, who had his time. Jim Harbaugh was a very good coach in San Francisco. He was a good coach at stops previous to that. But Mike Singletary, his time ran out. He was too old school. Bobby Knight in the college basketball ranks, Bobby Bowden in the college football ranks. These guys just kind of got too old and they didn't have their same luster anymore. They didn't have that same communication, that same connectivity to the players. I think Jim Harbaugh is done with coaching, at least for a couple of years, until he can sucker somebody like Jerry Jones. Okay, that was a cheap shot. So that, <laughs> that, that Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones, I'm sorry. But finally, Marv, I am asking this serious and not in jest. I watched the game on Monday night. 
not all of it, but I watched some of it, which is probably more than most of you. Are the Patriots trying to lose football games? Because it sure looks like it to me. It was so clear as day. Patriots looked like they weren't really trying to win that game. They were doing everything to lose that game. And at one point, I noticed they were down two touchdowns, and I was just like, whoa, what's going on here? The Jets finally going to win the game? And then it hit them. The Jets noticed they were winning, and the Patriots weren't trying to win. The Jets were like, you know what? No, 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 no. <laughs> and they decided to lose the game, <laughs> which they ended up doing. Like, it was so blatant and obvious to just put up 12 guys on a fourth and five when the Patriots were kicking a field goal and get a first down, and they scored a touchdown, and that, the rest was history. So it was pretty obvious both teams weren't trying to win, but when one noticed the other one was just laying down, they are like, it's time to turn back on the tank mode. And that's what the Jets ended up doing, and they lost the game at the end of the day. At the end of the game, by a field goal as time expired. Yeah, I don't want to sound like this is some grand conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. And in the NFL, it's a violent and dangerous game. So the players aren't going out there trying to lose. But what I'm talking about is play calling fourth and one and you line up in the shotgun like who are you Matt Nagy and the Bears what what how does that make any sense you have Cam Newton QB sneak it power it somewhere um Gilmore was out they were just trying to trade him less than a week ago and suddenly he's injured like what I I don't understand and these Jets are so bad now with what they have I, I was talking with somebody the other day they make the Cleveland Browns, the 0-16 Cleveland Browns from like 2016 or 2017, look like an all-star team. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, actually. I look at the 16, 17, I can't remember what year it was, the Browns. David Njoku, talented tight end. Miles Garrett was on the team that season. They had uh, Christian Kirksey. I think he's made a couple Pro Bowls as a linebacker. They had talent on that roster. They just couldn't win a football game. The Jets, I can't even name players. I can name Sam Darnold, uh, Denzel Mims, Brashad Perryman. And then the other guys that I can name are all bad players, like Pierre Desir, Joe Flacco's terrible, um, Frank Gore's 100 years old. Like They're not even an NFL football team. So how you could lose to them or play them that close without trying is so far beyond me. I, I don't know. So I'm completely with you. <laughs> it looked like they were certainly trying to lose the football game. Both teams were, as a matter of fact, as you astutely pointed out. That, folks, is the end of our show. We thank you all for listening. We appreciate you continuing to rate and share this show. Uh, we are very grateful for that. It is the main source of our growth, and you are doing a fantastic job follow along, interact with us, more importantly on Twitter, at JMOTBpod, at MTOTBpod. Marv, do you have anything else for the people? We appreciate each and every one of you guys. Um, keep giving us those five star. Keep sharing. We appreciate it. Um, and we'll continue to give you guys the good content that we constantly do every, each and every week. Uh, we do this for you guys, and we really do appreciate it. I'm with you 100%, brother. We do it uh, because we love to do it, and we do it because uh, we get great feedback, and it's doing very well. So we thank you all. That's for you and from you. We will talk to you next week, and hopefully sooner than that, on Twitter. Enjoy the games this week. 
and we look forward to interacting with you soon. Later, people. Hold up.